Let the stories and teachings of today's top Christian leaders inspire and move you to releasing God's best for your life. With your host, best-selling author and certified Christian life coach, Jay Marsh. Welcome to Your Blessed Life. Hey, Blessed Nation, Jay Marsh here. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Your Blessed Life podcast. Today's special guest might be a name that sounds familiar to you, at least some of you. Uh, Sharon Spano is on the show with us. Sharon, welcome back to Your Blessed Life. Thank you so much, Jay. I'm excited to be back on board and appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat. You know, so when we had you on the show back in episode number 40, we really got to know you. And that's so fun. And you know, I think it's important um, if we have that opportunity to get to know you as a person and get to know a little bit about your walk in Christ um, before we talk about maybe some, you know, some teaching points. So I appreciate you coming on and spending that time with us. In fact, Bless Nation, if you haven't heard that episode, it was episode number 40. I want to invite you to take a listen to that because there were a couple of things, Sharon, that you said that really led us to having the second conversation. And it was about mindset. Uh, we talked about how our thoughts and how our behavior, how they play a, a role in how we put together our time and our money thoughts. And, and that's what kind of led us to this conversation is, is your book about time and money. And I thought it was interesting because it wasn't so much a a financial how-to book, like maybe something John Ramsey might do, but it was more of a thought process book. And, and I find that very, very intriguing because I think we have to get our thoughts, our mindset, um, our behaviors in line so that we can have the right mindset for money. Um, and so I have a, a handful of questions that I can't wait to, to ask you. Um, so are you ready to just dive in? I am ready. I am ready and excited. So let's go for it. Okay, awesome. Well, for today's shows, you know, we're changing gears a little bit. We're going to talk about some steps. We're going to talk about some practical tools that we can use from your book. And Bless Nation, the book that Sharon just came out, in fact, I have a copy in my hand. I was just telling Sharon while ago, I was bragging on her and her team, because this is one of very few books that I've had the the privilege of of reading and handling that you have an experience with this book, Sharon, just holding it. I mean, it is such a unique uh, book. Not only does it have a very attractive cover to it, it's a hard copy book, but just the feel of the book is wonderful. And so your your team did a great job again of putting this whole thing together. Well, thank you so much. And I know Morgan James would be delighted to hear those comments. And we're very proud of the cover, and I felt the same way when I opened the, the box. I love the way it feels, and you know, for most of us that are readers, I think that's an important piece is how it feels in your hand and how it looks, you know, so I appreciate your acknowledging that. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. And, you know, that makes me think of something, Sharon, and uh, before we dive right into those questions, and that is kind of the idea behind this book. Tell me just briefly, why did, why did you write this book? How did this book come about? 
Well, as you know, I mean, most of my work is with business leaders and entrepreneurs who are pretty much smack in the middle of some kind of personal or professional, either it's a dilemma, a challenge, or some kind of transition. And so one of the things that I begin to notice in my work is that, you know, time and money, obviously, are two important resources that impact us on a daily basis, uh, sometimes at a subconscious level as we're making a, a multitude of decisions and choices throughout our days, weeks, and months. Uh, but I began to notice, particularly after 2008, you know, that many of my clients were, were struggling and falling into scarcity perspectives and making many fear-based, uh, you know, choices. And I, for one, uh, in 2007, I had uh, an employee, and I know many business leaders have probably had a similar experience where you've had someone on board and you've worked and done everything you can uh, to do to help them to be successful and, and to produce and, and impact your bottom line. And I had invested quite a bit of time and money in this gentleman. He was quite smart. And I just wasn't getting what I needed from him. And I, I couldn't figure it out. And, and then one day, uh, you know, just out of, I don't even know where it came from, Jay. It was just a question that rose up. And I, I love to share this story because I think it's a good example for people uh, to, to, you know, get to the, the, the essence of this very quickly. I asked the question, what do you believe about people who have money? And his response just shocked me. Um, he, he, right away, he said, I think they're greedy, egocentric, and oppressive. Wow. He thought about that, hadn't he? Yeah. I mean, and I, I was floored, you know, and in that moment I realized, no wonder I can't get you to make any money. Like if you believe that about people who have money, why would you want to be like them? And, um, you know, this gentleman was a, probably not much different than most of us, except for he had a storyline, early childhood stories that had been kind of perpetrated upon him throughout his life. And now here he was 50 some years old, and he had a series of stops and starts and many failures in his career, in spite of the fact that he was quite brilliant. And in that moment, I, I don't know, something just opened up in me in terms of curiosity. Obviously, I eventually had to transition him out of the business uh, but it began uh, kind of a an exploration. And of course, my, my doctoral work is grounded in uh, adult human development. So that led, you know, to deeper understanding about how stages of development can impact and add to the complexity of our storylines. And the birth was, the book was kind of birthed out of those two uh, premises melding together. Well, that, that makes perfect sense as to how you came up with the title from that story. Because as I look at the book, um, the pursuit of time and money, and then the subtitle "Stepping into Radical Abundance: Discovering the Secret to a Meaningful, Prosperous Life." I see that it, it begins, and you alluded to this in your story, with mindset, and I think that's something that you said in our first interview that really kind of just hung there. And maybe you want to have a, a second conversation about this because that mindset actually leads us into. Well, these cycles and, and how these internal storylines, they form those mindsets. So I'm gonna, I want to kind of go a little bit deeper there, you know, letting go of mindsets that limit us or that stop us or that hold us back. Um, and in particular, the, the, the mindset of fear and scarcity. So how do we, how do we break this? I'm going to call it a cycle because I know you've used this word in your book cycle. And I'm, I'm as a marriage coach and as a life coach, that's something that I teach the folks that I coach about cycles. Cause it's so important because we get in these cycles sometimes and don't even know them, but how can we break a cycle as it relates to, to fear and scarcity? 
Well, that's a great question, Jay. And, and kind of the first thing that I'm hoping to accomplish with the book is to start a conversation. As you said, it's not about time, money, management, because I think there's plenty out there on this. But I think with my clients, you know, when we when we start out in whatever you know capacity we're dealing with, I'm asking them to examine uh, the very first early childhood stories. What did they learn from their parents or any member of their family about uh, the use of time and money? And when we go back, we typically can see that whatever the cycle they're in began there, you know, and they can remember often very vivid examples of, you know, my mom always pressed upon us that we should never be late or my dad, you know, was very stringent about our saving. And so in order to break the cycles, I always say the first step is to have awareness of where they began. Uh, You know, with the first moment of awareness comes opportunity for change. So when we can start to explore and discover where it started and then how is it impacting us in the here and now, uh, we can we can move towards uh, transformational change. So one of the things that we've done is we've developed a time money inventory. Uh, it's on the website and it's, you know, people can download it for, for free. But what the work around that has been about, I think now we're almost in four years of gathering data around that. And what's been exciting is, you know, people can take it. It's anonymous. It's confidential. They can see where they fall on the spectrum between scarcity and abundance. They get a, a report that kind of helps them examine, you know, what that may look like in their typical day-to-day life. And what's fascinating about it as we've, you know, analyzed the data is scarcity is fairly obvious, although it may not be obvious to the person. But I mean, most of us, I think, um, you know, out in the business world know when we see it or even if we fall into it. Um, Abundance sometimes equally is obvious. But when you get into the moderate scarcity categories or the moderate abundance categories, what I like to tell people is they often can look the same. Uh, And by that, I mean a person who was given very early understandings around being responsible can take that information and that way of being, if you will, to an extreme where responsibility is actually uh, fear-based behaviors. Hmm. Okay. And that's where it gets a little tricky. So, so it's the, and I've literally had a client like this who was the responsible dad doing all the right things, saving for college for the kids, you know, being a good steward, um, but fear based to the point where I can't even take my family on vacation or take my kids to Disney World because what if I don't have enough money for retirement or what if I don't have enough money uh, to get my kids through college? So it's, it's, you know, and for us as Christians, you know, that equates to, you know, not trusting that we, we have a God of abundance who loves us, right? Um, not understanding that the high, highest level of stewardship, which, of course, is accepting that God owns all things, and we're only stewards of those things, we're keepers of those things, those possessions, and, and we get into trouble if they start to own us rather than we own them. Yeah, again, it goes right back to mindset, doesn't it? And we... When we have that mindset, then they start to attach themselves to other like kind mindsets. And before we know it, we have the cycle created. And in a lot of cases, we don't even realize that we've created it. Exactly. And so when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm talking about it. And there's a quote in the book that says this. Um, prosperity is not a place to get to. It's more a place to come from. It is yeah. a mindset that knows, you know, what whatever I have is enough. 
and I can, I can use it in ways that glorify God, in ways that are generous, in ways that serve others. Yeah, I remember specifically reading that, um, and, and I like that because I think that definition helps those folks in the Christian walk that want to associate a negative connotation to that word, um, in, you know, because prosperity is definitely a buzzword. Right. And in Christian circles. And unfortunately, some Christians have a negative connotation to it. So I think when you when you come at it from that mindset, mm-hmm. it's an internal definition as opposed to a worldly definition. I think it spins it for the good. And I, I, it really resonated with me because I, I always want to give a message that is accurate, that honors God, that sets us on a path to live an abundant life in Christ. Um but where the the world isn't wagging us, you know, the the world isn't leading the charge. We're leading it from the spirit of God within us. So I really like that. I really like the way you 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 spun that for the good on that definition. Well, thank you. And I, I think you know the 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 crux of it is you know, and it's quoted many times in Scripture. But I I always think of Luke twelve thirty four. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's really the essence of it for me is. I'm wanting people to not only examine their early childhood stories, but more importantly, to look at how they're using these two most important resources in the context of the relationships in their life, you know, God and others. And uh, that's a hard thing to do in today's world where we're all having to work harder, faster, and we're on our phones. And, you know, one of the things that's breaking my heart these days is how many places I'm in where I see young mothers or fathers sitting at a table over breakfast or lunch with their little ones and their parents are on the phone, a whole meal. And the child's sitting there either on their little, you know, make believe iPad, depending on their age or they're bored playing with their food. And, um, you know, not to fault those parents, but I I just really hope that we'll stop and start to think a little bit more. Uh, Not only are we, we working hard to buy our kids all these toys and technology, but are we giving them our time in ways that are going to be meaningful later in their lives? You know, because I think we're losing some sense of family in all the distractions that are out there. Yeah. You know, I thought about that yesterday. So um, yesterday my family and I went to church and afterwards we went and had lunch and we went to a place where we had breakfast and I picked up my phone to put it out of my pocket And as I did, I think it may have subconsciously spurred my wife to pick up her phone. And then I set mine down just to get it out of the way next to my keys and my glasses. And she had picked hers up. And before she knew it, she was looking at it. And I don't know what she was looking at. Email, Facebook or what have you. And then she and it all happened in a split second. And then she caught herself and she looked at me and she's like, oh, excuse me. You know, like she caught herself because it all happened in in a nanosecond and she set it down. But what I took away from that moment, and my our kids didn't even see it, my boys didn't, they didn't even catch it, but is what you're saying, is that time that we had together, that is an, on, an opportunity for us as a family to come together in fellowship over a meal. And I don't know if there's a, a more special time to fellowship as a family than that over a meal. So putting that electronic device down um, and focusing on us, um, I think is what make makes our mealtime so special. 
Well, I agree. And, it, and it's, it's something I think we all battle. I know my husband and I both, and you know, when we, we realize and recognize, we now know that all of these platforms and apps and devices are designed to cause us to slep, step into addictive behaviors of, of feeling the urgent need to respond to every little bop and beep and whistle. And so that to me is part of the chase when we talk about it in, in the context of time or my husband and I were in Mexico last week with some friends celebrating his birthday. And, you know, we were all doing it for the first three days. And then on the weekend, we said, we're just shutting them off because it was, it, I, we just needed to decompress and forget about, you know, Facebook and emails. And, you know, there's the good side of it is that we were able to conduct business Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from Mexico. And I, I appreciated that. Uh, but then at one point, you know, I, and, and when you think about what Jesus did, so much of what he did was the fellowship around the meal, as you as you stated so eloquently. And I, I'm thankful that when my son was growing up, um, you know, we didn't have the, this level of distraction. I mean, we had television, of course, but we were a family that always sat down for dinner. My husband's Italian. You sit down for a full meal and the television was off. And that was our time to connect with Michael and have conversation, you know. And I don't think, I mean, I guess I feel like if you're not doing it when they're little, you're not going to have much of that when they're older. Yeah, you won't. And we're not, and and we're, we're missing an opportunity to teach them because they're going to mimic our behavior and they'll be doing that with their kids. Um, And so bringing to their attention, the importance of having one-on-one face-to-face dialogue around a meal makes that meal time and that family time special. And, you know, you said something, you threw that word in, and it's perfect because that's the next question I wanted to ask you, and that is about the chase. So you mentioned that a while ago, and and that's something you talk about in your book that really intrigued me. Uh, and, and that's not, you know, being or having enough. That's that what this idea of chase embodies. So as it relates to the way that you wrote about chase in your book, how does this notion of chase rob us? from living a, a fuller life? Well, I think if we're always feeling that we have to be doing more, 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 which is what our world is now asking of us, to be on call 24-7 with all of our devices and all of these things that, again, have many good features to them and have in many ways simplified our life. Uh, but but it's like, when do we ever shut down? And so the, the chase is constant. And, and you feel, I think many people, and I certainly see this with my clients, if they're not keeping up with all the daily demands of being available to everyone 24-7, and, and you know, people want an immediate response. I mean, if you send an email or a text, they want to hear from you immediately or they move on. It, it equates to then this sense of I'm not enough. You know, I'm comparing myself now to the guy down the street who is maybe more available or has more clients or is making more money. And I see time and money is very tightly linked. Uh, to my knowledge, there's many books out on, on time and money, but not the two of them together. And the reason that I, I really wanted to stress um, the importance of seeing them so closely linked, you know, we, we, we flippantly say time is money, but when you really think of how intricately linked they are, it's, it's a really important opportunity for us to acknowledge the complexity because both time and money, to me, part of the, the dimension that adds to the complexity is that they're both abstract and concrete at the same time. 
So, you know, I'm in Mexico and the, the peso is different than the dollar, right? Uh, which creates some level of complexity and confusion. You know, I was in London two weeks ago and my time zones are different from my husband. So those are, it's abstract, but yet it's real because we're having to address the fact that we're a global society. And again, you know, the guy in London wants an immediate response, no matter that there's a six hour difference between here and, and uh, Florida. And on it goes. And, and uh, I just don't think we can separate them out. But in terms of the, of the chase itself, uh, part of what I'm hoping people will explore as they look at those conversations and those early childhood paradigms, um, I'm, I'm, I'm explaining it from, in the context of stages of human development, which is very important, because there are 12 stages that we know of based on research. And depending on what stage you're at, your center of gravity, if you will, you're going to have a different meaning-making system around life in general. But we know for a fact that people, for instance, in the earlier stages have a different perspective of time and money simply because they don't have the capacity to uh, visualize the future. That makes that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, that does make sense. And and I have a question on it, but I want you to keep on going. Keep well, stay with it. So, here, so here's what happens. There's 12 stages of development that we know of within those stages. There are 26, what we call lines of development. So in my, my practice, I focus on six of them. And so you may have, um, let's say some, an adult who's stuck at what we'll call an early stage. Um, and, and often if you have an adult, that is kind of stuck. It, it can be from trauma. It can be for, for a lot of reasons. But if they're at a like an, what we call an adolescent stage, um, they will have trouble because they're they're literally think of how old are your boys right now? Eight and ten. Okay, so the best is yet to come. Imagine yourself. Remember yourself as a teenager. 13, 14, if you, if you made, you know, $10 doing some chore around the house, chances are you spent it on a CD or now would be an iTunes or whatever. Right, right. Because you're not thinking about, oh, I need to save this for college at 13 or 14. <laughs> you're thinking of right here, right now, you know, I want an ice cream cone, a Coke, or, you know, I want to take a girl to a movie. Well, that's fine when you are literally 16, 17 years old. But when we have adults in those places, um, to be quite frank, often they're in prisons because they don't have the capacity to think in terms of consequences of their actions. Fortunately, for those of us in business, most of us fall in the second tier, which is uh, like 60% of the U.S. working population we estimate to be at what we call the expert or achiever stage of development. But even between those two stages, there are huge differentiations one of which is the expert, for instance, and that's where you'll often find like engineers and people who are financially minded or, or attorneys. They're going to focus a little bit more to, on um, efficiency over effectiveness. So the engineer, for instance, may get so lost in being efficient on his, his you know, latest contract, the job that he's designing, that he'll lose sight of, you know, the time and am I even billing effectively or am I losing money on this or what are my cost factors? I see that a lot. Um, where the entrepreneur perhaps at the achiever level, and I, I don't mean to put people in boxes because it's far more complex than this, uh, but the entrepreneur is going to get out there and, you know, my husband is an entrepreneur. He gets out there and he has a famous saying, you can't hunt from the cave. Uh, he goes out every day and, 
and he closes deals and he makes things happen. And, um, you know, he's very effective, but he, but he's not a guy that's going to get lost in the details of every nickel or every dime, if that makes sense. Cause he's looking big picture. I got to close a big deal and let me make it happen. Right. Right. Well, I, I can see how those processes help us to not get caught up in a chase that that distracts us. Does that tie into, you know, this notion of, of pursuing time and money, um, does that tie it into pursuing it in healthier ways so that these ways lead us to a, you know, to a more meaningful and more prosperous life? Yeah. One, one of the things that, that I'll focus on, uh, and not every, you know, I do a lot of strategic work obviously. So it's not always about time and money, but it almost always rises up somewhere in the mix. If we, you know, got a company that's, you know, most companies are dealing with some kind of, you know, there's finances always in the mix and, and, you know, the equation of time and money. But when I talk about healthier ways, um, I'm talking about really pursuing time and money from uh, in, in ways that allow for what I call the cycle of freedom. So there's a couple of ways that we do that. One is the awareness, as I've talked about in terms of stages, but we also develop practices. So once I'm working with the client and I can really analyze where I think they fall in all of this, um, we look at the at developing practices in the lines of development. So it might be you know, maybe, maybe someone needs work in their spiritual line because they don't understand tithing or stewardship. Or maybe it's their moral line because they have trouble making decisions that aren't fear-based. Maybe it's their interpersonal line because they do great with their family, but they have trouble being generous with people outside the family. You know, and then we look at somatic, cognitive, and emotional. So we're looking at all of these different elements and, you know, the practices are very practical ways of helping people step into what we call a new way of being. Because, again, it's difficult for any of us to imagine ourselves doing something differently than what we've been doing, particularly if I've been successful all my life, right? Um, so so there's, there's many ways that we step into that with the intention of embracing this cycle of freedom. So that's, that starts with the awareness, which hopefully leads to better stewardship. And then the outcomes become greater compassion for others, uh, more generosity towards others, which I believe then uh, institutes more gratitude. I believe generosity creates gratitude for us. Uh, you know, we almost get more than we give. And then um, greater love for self and others and, and ultimately greater love for humanity uh, in general. But, but if, I'm, if I'm in fear all the time and I don't understand stewardship from, you know, what I call an integral approach – um, it's going to be hard to do that given all the noise coming at me every day and the chase that I'm in. Because the chase again, Jay, is, you know, people talk to me about stress and you know my story of raising a child with a severe disability and then losing my son. I mean, I understand what stress is. I understand um, the limitations and the fear behind, you know, not knowing if you have enough time, particularly when you're losing a loved one and do what we have enough money to, to get all the resources for him that we need. I mean, these are daily challenges that we all face every day in one context or another. Um, but again, when the mindset is in a place where we understand radical abundance and we understand that we have a God who loves us and wants us to have an abundant life, um, you can learn, I really believe this, to be grateful no matter, <clears throat> excuse me, no matter how much uh, resources you actually have. Yeah. I, and I love how you 
you included that gratefulness because that is such a, a beautiful transition. And I suspect that that is one of the, the success cycles, uh, the cycle. What do you call it? The cycle of freedom? Cycle of freedom. And, and I really mean that because I believe when you, when you get into this cycle mm-hmm. um, and out of the cycle of scarcity, there is great freedom in knowing that you don't have to have more, more, more that you can, you know, and I just really saw this down in Mexico and, and maybe it was because I was in a resort, but you know, the, the workers there, these guys, I've never seen um, men and women work harder in the heat, you know, 12, 15 hour days, the way it seemed they, they work, you know, you could see the same guy there at night as you saw in the morning and so joyful. And, and my husband commented on more than once because they're so grateful to have such a great job in this beautiful resort because outside those walls, there's not a lot of opportunity for them. Yeah. And they just, you know, you could just, it, you know, you just wouldn't even have that kind of uh, response in the States, you know, with waiters. I mean, I, I just, every waiter every day for the five days we were down there and any restaurant we were like, I think they had like 10 restaurants where we were, they were just so joyful. Now, was it an act perhaps, or was it that they, um, truly are as grateful as we perceive them to be. And even if they have a miserable life in another you know, part of the town, when they come there by expressing, because you know, everything starts with thought, right? So if I, if I think it and express it, my behavior starts to take that on and then it can become a reality for me uh, if I so choose it to be so. Oh, I, lo- I am so glad that you mentioned that because I think, you know, if we could only talk about one cycle. I think that thought process cycle, that conscious, uh, intentional thought process that leads you to the desired outcome that comes from a conscious thought is so important. And I think that's one of the things that has attracted me to this book. Um, and the, the, the last question that I want to ask you, I'm not going to go there yet, but bless nation, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an idea of where we're going with it because I want you to think about it. And that is, well, it's really what Sharon calls as the secret to living a more meaningful and a prosperous life. And I think that one of the secrets you've hit on, and that is that thankfulness. So bless nation, I want to, I want to take a moment to thank you for spending this time with us, for supporting the show, for um, being someone who rates the show and reviews the show, because we're putting these episodes together so that we can sharpen each other. You know, one of my favorite, favorite scriptures in Proverbs is about iron sharpening iron. And we get that opportunity to come alongside folks like Sharon and allow her to sharpen our skills with our mindset of time and money. And I want to give you bless nation an opportunity to support the show at a, at a, at a higher level. You know, it's fitting that we're talking about money, um, time and money in particular, uh, something that we've done recently at your blessed life is we've given you the listeners, the opportunity to support the show financially. As you know, blessed, uh, blessed nation, your blessed life Ministries is, in fact, a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and that simply means that you can support the show financially and your offerings are tax deductible. So it takes serious dollars to put these episodes on the air for you each and every time. And if it's on your heart, 
where you'd be willing to support the show at that capacity, at a financial capacity, I want to invite you to consider it. There's no preset amount. It's just what's on your heart. And you can go to the website at yourblessedlife.com and you'll see a donate button there. And if it's on your heart to support the show financially, I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, So thank you in advance for doing that. So Sharon, I want to come back to this. Well, it's, it's the last question and it may be the most profound one that I think uh, that I came across in your book. And I like the way you set it up. You talked about it being really discovering uh, what you call the secret to a meaningful and a prosperous life. And I'm going to tell Blessed Nation what that secret is, and then I want you to expand on it for us. That secret is stewardship. So how does stewardship, Sharon, how does stewardship become a key to setting us free with this idea of pursuing time and money? Well, you know, from a biblical perspective, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I mean, that's what we're charged with as Christians is to not let money or time rule us. You know, again, to trust that all things belong to God and and uh, they're, they're to be used. We're, we're stewards or keepers of those things, whether it be time, money, you know, possessions, in order to glorify God and, and, and to serve the, the kingdom. Um, and I'm not one to, to, to quote chapter verse, you know, because I, I frankly, I'm not one that remembers numbers very well. But I think God knew what he was doing when you, I, I know there's something like over 2,000 references to money alone in scripture. So that tells me that God knew we were going to get tripped up on our worldly possessions. So stewardship for me, and I look at it also from a research perspective, um, Peter Block has some wonderful work out on uh, stewardship in the context of sustainability. And I, I think that doesn't only apply to organizational systems, but to family systems. So we're looking at it not only in terms of relationships, but I look at it through the lens of something called integral theory. And there's a, a quadrant in the book, and your, your listeners can download these resources. I think I mentioned earlier on the website as well, so they're a little bit easier to read. But when we look at it from an integral perspective, uh, the quadrants look at it from an individual interior and an exterior uh, lens, as well as a collective interior and exterior. So I put together some questions there to help people look at it. And integral just means being part of the bigger whole. What What is the holistic way that I can step into more stewardship of time and money. So how do I think about it? Uh, what do I do with it? How do I experience it in relation to others? And then how do I plan or what systems do I have around me in order to make sure that I'm being effective in, how, in my utilization of these two most important resources? And then I, I believe, again, not only does the cycle of freedom come into play, but radical abundance to me is is about this meaningful life of joy and prosperity. And it has, again, nothing to do with your life circumstances. So, you know, when I mentioned to you in the earlier show about my son being critically ill for four years, um, yeah, there was emotion, there was fear, there was scarcity that was moving in and out of my family. And, you know, my husband and I have three businesses between us. It was a very, very difficult time in our life. But I never lost sight of the joy and the gratitude and the prosperity that we were blessed with in having Michael in the first place. And even when he passed, 
you know, I was, God blessed us with joy and gratitude and, and many, many memories. I mean, I, I've been blessed in that um, I've never been one to question, oh God, why did I have a child with a disability or why did my child die? And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong when people go there because that's a natural emotion and a natural part of the grieving process. But I think because I've just trained myself for so many years and because of the work that I do, um, my, my inclination was to just be grateful and um, respectful. And I don't always do stewardship right. I mean, it's not an easy thing. You know, we get distracted by um, desires and, you know, passions. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shoe addict and I'm an Amazon book addict. And so let me just put it out there <laughs> that I'm constantly having to pull myself back, you know, and go, is this really needed? Uh, would God have you use this money differently? You know, so we all, we all battle these things. I think I wrote the book as much for myself as anybody else. Oh, and I, I believe that's what has made it and what will make it such a good book is because it's something that is helping you, something that is a work in progress in you. And I, I like the stewardship idea or the stewardship notion that sets us free. And I want to share with Blessed Nation just quickly in, in chapter, I think it's 13, 14. In chapter 14, you talk about the cycle of freedom. And so we're talking about how stewardship is the key to setting you free. And you talk about stewardship and compassion, generosity, gratitude, um, a greater love for not only others, but for yourself. And that, that commitment to be, you know, active and to be involved in humanity. I mean, you, you look at those from a biblical perspective and, and they're the intangibles that make the tangibles of our life significant. And so do you have, I mean, I know in the appendices here in the book, you've got these different models and stuff, but if, if someone wanted to come and take a look at the cycle of freedom, is that one of the, can they go somewhere to your book site and see that cycle of freedom? Absolutely. If they go to the uh, timemoneybook.com and then forward slash blessed nation, we have uh, on the resource tab, the cycle is there and all of the appendices are there. Certainly there's another place for the first chapter and on all of that. But um, yeah, I really welcome, you know, I encourage them, them to do that. And I want to just for a second stress the importance of the self-love piece because that, that's a whole other book in itself. But just quickly, it has to do with caring enough about yourself that you, you honor your body, your mind, your spirit. You do the things you need to do for self-care. That's part of the healthier uh, approach uh, to pursuing time and money. But it also has to do, Jay, with self-love and compassion and forgiveness because we all make mistakes around time and money. It's just part of human nature, particularly in today's fast-paced world. So you're going to have, if you're in business, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have things happen. You're going to hire the wrong people or, you know, whatever. And um, I think that's a big part of the self-love is just knowing here's an opportunity for me to learn from my mistakes and, and you know, what can I do moving forward differently? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you kind of came back to that self-love notion because I think once we r realize how important that is, then it positions us to love others, you know, because I think about what, what Christ reminds us to do, and he wants us to love others. And he, in Mark 12, I think it's 1231, he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. 
So he really wants us to love ourselves because he knows that if we love ourselves, then we can learn to love our neighbor. And he wants us to love our neighbor in a way that we love. Is there anything more than we love ourselves, or should there be? He wants us to love ourselves deeply so we can love our neighbor deeply. And I think we forget to love ourselves first. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up and that you talk about that in this cycle of freedom, because I think it can get overlooked. Well, and, and this book is not written specifically to Christians, but but you and I know, I mean, certainly the, the, the flavor is there because that's who I am. But I, but I would say that if we look at what Jesus did, I mean, he took time to go off and rest and to pray and to meditate. And again, the meals. And so he was very much about nourishing his mind, body and spirit. You know, he didn't heal everybody in one day. I mean, he would say to the apostles enough for today and he'd retreat and he'd ask them to retreat and rest. So it's so simple uh, that we get we we forget. Um, it's not easy that the examples he's given us, but it is simple. And if we would just pay attention and heed, um, you know, what he's offered us as just really a unique way to live a life of abundance and radical abundance at that. And he was radical, as we well know. Um, wow, what what a what a great life, right? Yeah, he is radical. In fact, I love this. I mean, because it's either black or white. People say with with Jesus, there's not a question of whether or not did Jesus exist. There's just so much evidence that he had, he existed. So the question becomes, is he who he says he was? Because he existed. So, and when I think of him being radical, um, either it's one of two things: either he was the son of God, which he claims to be, or he was just so far out there that. There's never been anyone like him before. And so it's a real easy, it's a real easy decision to make once you find out how radical he was, because he was radical for his father. And he wants us to become radical for him in everything we do, including the pursuit of time and money. And I think that's what I want to leave you with, Bless Nation, is that you can pursue time and money from a godly perspective. And you can have an abundant life in Christ. You can have an abundant mind life with your mindset as it relates to time and money. So I'm excited that Sharon has written this book from a mindset perspective and not from a management perspective, because I think it gives us permission as Christians to look at money and time from an internal viewer as opposed to an external viewer. So Sharon, I just want to, I want to take a minute and thank you for writing the book. Um, I have scratched the surface, you know, in preparation for our interview, I've read several chapters um, and I've jumped around in a lot because I'm thinking, all right, I want to give our listeners as much meat as I can, but I look forward to finishing every single page in this book because I think when we look at time and money from our mind, it links to our heart because we have Christ in us. I think it's going to help us to be more productive, even from a management standpoint with our time and our money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for your journey with this new book. I'm excited that I get to be a part of it on the front end of it. And uh, I'm going to be there cheering you on as you go. Well, I thank you so much, Jane. Again, I want to acknowledge what you're doing in, in the marketplace with your podcast, because I know you're changing hearts and minds for the Lord and, and even maybe for those out there who do not yet have that relationship or, or understand the power and impact of, 
of pursuing that relationship. So we're all in this together. And our hope, I think, is to uh, make the world a better place and to honor the Lord in the process and to grow the kingdom in his glory. Indeed. I've got I've got my hand up. I'm in agreement with you on that. That is that is so true. Well, Bless Nation, I hope you enjoyed this time. I mean, it just flies by. But I hope you enjoyed this time that we got to chat with Sharon and kind of pick her brain on this notion of pursuing time and money from a mindset standpoint. And if you enjoyed the episode, I'd love to get your feedback. Leave us a review. Um, tell me what you think about the show. Um, it'll allow someone else that's contemplating to listen to the show to hear what your thoughts are. And because they're, they're wanting to know what you think of the show. It is those reviews, those ratings, those are the catalysts to make someone hit play. And when they hit play, if we can bless their life in some way, um, then we've been a blessing in their life. So I want to invite you to rate and review the, the show and, and thank you in advance for doing, for doing so. So Sharon, I hope our paths cross again soon. I do too. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Have a blessed day and blessed nation. Remember that God loves you and he absolutely wants to bless you. <laughs>